And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Karen Steckley. With me, your local beat writer for The Athletic. Yes, he was born in Texas. Yes, he was educated in Oklahoma. Yes, he lives near the Canadian border. Yes, he used to drive a truck. No, he is not a Canadian trucker. He is Cody Stabman Hayden. How you doing? <laughs> doing all right. Doing all right. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, you are near the Canadian border, which means you are not down in Florida. The Tigers actually have some... This is true, which, by the way, what's the weather like in Michigan right now? You wish you were in Florida just for that? Yeah, I think it's like 11 degrees outside. Had a lot of snow this week. Uh, again, to the people who think the weather in Michigan is just so crazy, pretty sure the weather has just sucked for like the past several months. Like just every day, it's like, oh, I wonder what the weather's like. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> it's not, not that unpredictable. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. We had our we had our uh, winter weather storm here a couple of weeks ago. It was not very fun, but the next day, two days later, it was like seventy degrees, and we're about, we might get some this week after a couple of days of uh, seventy degrees. So, who's crazy now? That sounds like that's that sounds like some variance to me. I mean, it was it was like forty one day this week, but it rained and was slushy and <laughs> terrible. So it was bad and just a different different type of bad. It was the first variation we've had we have can we get an update on the mustang driving around in the in this uh yeah it's uh it's it's not as good as the jeep that's for sure definitely starting to get the feel for it a little bit but it likes to fishtail (laughs) it likes to uh it's uh it's it it slides around a little bit more so got to be pretty careful um in the staying it's okay you know it's some people are also like oh like how can you have a mustang when you live in michigan i'm like well like Okay, like it's made like in like here, so I like I'm pretty sure plenty of people have them. Um, also, there are probably like two days a year where the roads are bad enough that like maybe it would be a problem. Again, they actually clear the roads up here. It'd be worse to have one in Amarillo, Texas, and um, it does handle a little bit differently. But uh, you know, go slow, be careful, yeah, and no that's big how it goes. So this week we got our. You know, I guess our first glimpse of Mr. Joe, comma Jackson in a uh, Tigers uniform doing some actual baseball activities. Uh, it's mini camp. It's it's not live yet. There will be some live uh, live action here this week, but it's something. It's a little. It, it, it's a nice little reward for. Uh, Having to go through the hell of this lockout negotiation that seems to be going nowhere 15 minutes at a time. Um, got a couple beat colleagues down there at taking some nice videos. Want to shout out, shout out them. You have any impressions of seeing, you know, the, the umpire view or whatever of, of Jackson Job doing his thing with the spin rates? Uh, I think we should call up Keith Law, see if he's in the top 100 yet, you know? I mean, he's, he's thrown a bullpen now. He's a professional. So. <laughs> um, no, like, like I, I really miss baseball. I wish I were down there in some ways. I read our reviews on Apple for the first time in a long time recently to the guy who, like, called me arrogant and disinterested uh, I mean, you're, you're probably right, like, but uh, I'm not disinterested. Like, I love this job. I love baseball. I want spring training to start. 
Now, the arrogant, disinterested part of me is like, eh, sort of glad I'm not down there taking videos of, like, you know, the fifth best catcher in the organization. Um, Jackson Job, I would love to see pitch. I'd love to, to see some of these guys in person. I think it will be a better time to kind of evaluate, especially me. Like, when I'm watching the workouts, I like to kind of put my scout hat on and, and uh, see what I think of the players. And this would be a time to get a closer look. I would imagine at some of these minor league guys that um, it's just harder to see as much of, at least in person. Um, all that said, like like um, we did a story in the Athletic where writers were asked to share um, spring training memories, and um, I think it was Chad Jennings, our Red Sox writer, talked about when he was a minor league reporter, and uh, Latroy Hawkins came over to minor league camp and like threw two innings or something, and afterward he goes like, "Oh, it must must have felt good to throw two innings." And Latroy Hawkins, who was a veteran in his career, was like, "Man, spring training don't mean shit." <laughs> And if spring training don't mean shit, mini camp definitely doesn't mean shit. So, like, there's not much to take away from Jackson Job's first professional bullpen. He did not injure himself. That is good news. Uh, there's some sort of baseball going on. That is good news. But, um, unfortunately, I mean, there's just not much to take away from anything going on right now. That's true. And, you know, all we can do right now is project, which you uh... – which you did this week in the athletic kind of gave 12 under the radar. You called them lesser known under the radar. Some, some were known, some were lesser known. I just, I just kind of wanted to make clear. It wasn't like twerking well, green, you know, I guess it was one of those stories that if you're highly invested in the tigers and their, you know, projection, these are kind of names that you want to bookmark a little bit as uh, if the, if they hit, yeah. then likely things are going really well. So we don't have to list all of them. Um, you did have a in in terms of names that could be surprises. Uh, I like you put Reese Olsen number one. Uh, for those that don't remember, he was the return on the Daniel Norris trade, um, which looks like a home run trade for uh i'm not gonna say home run right now you're on base with that trade it, well, a single. It, yeah, it, it, if he becomes like a middle, starting maybe. rotation guy then it's a home run but in terms of potential return i mean the brewers didn't really get much out of norris uh and i believe no. yeah he, he did did not achieve what they wanted with that trade but reese olsen is a guy that was high upside and has shown shown the ability to be one of those guys that you know don't count them out for a uh, for a rotation spot down the line. Um, I I gotta say though, see I I I've been reading you since you were 18 years old. Um, so I I know <laughs> I know how you write. I know your style. And 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 since we worked together, you know, back in college, I can always I can sometimes tell what you were thinking when you wrote something. So your Garrett your Garrett Hill. Uh -huh. Uh, <laughs> you you basically say like, all right, he's put up some good numbers. This stuff's solid, not great. Um, he's only six foot tall, which made me think of the Jack Leiter conversation at the uh at, at the draft. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he gets batters out. Quote, which happens to be the object of the game. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It is. So yeah, I'm not going to knock the guy. He keeps yeah, getting I mean, guys at out. At a certain point, the uh, the accolades and you know the attributes, you know, the, it, it's sort of like the Harold Castro thing. Is he the Harold Castro of the minor league system? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what his his metrics are. So I'm actually not going to chime in on that. Um, I hopefully he's a little better metrically than Harold Castro, but. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think there are guys like that that can get lost in minor league systems. I mean, Drew Carlton is another one that that we saw make his MLB debut last year, who's kind of never really gotten a chance, despite always having good numbers in the minor leagues, despite getting dudes out. Um, you know, and I think kind of in the the hinge regime, guys like that eh, probably get a little more of a chance to uh, to open some eyes. Like I think I think performance matters is something AJ Hinge has said a lot. Look, that doesn't mean if you're throwing 85 in low A that you're going to suddenly be viewed as a prospect just because you, like, had a couple good outings. But, you know, Garrett Hill, I think the Tigers organization likes him. I think they're fond of him. How much upside is really there? Probably not a ton, but I don't know. If he's a guy who can pitch out of the bullpen in the majors for a little bit, I think you chalk that up as a What do you say in the Hinch regime? Like, what what makes... uh what makes him, you know, calling the shots. Yeah, I mean, I think AJ's just talks a lot about how performance matters, and I don't know how much that applies to, like, the minor leagues, but, you know, I think we saw Drew Carlton get a shot, I think, especially now that we're not in the rebuilding era, era so much anymore. Like, if there's a guy, the Tigers need an arm for a couple weeks, I don't know, could it be a Garrett Hill type, or could it be... Some guy who throws hard but has terrible numbers. Like who? Uh, let's give him some innings, see what he can do in the big leagues. You know, same thing positionally. Let's give uh, Victor Reyes a bunch of at bats because what if he develops? Like I think those days are kind of over. And even some of these fringe calls, maybe even if it's just a guy you're going to bring up for you know uh, 15 days, maybe it'd be a little more likely to go to the guy who's earned it with his performance on the field. That's just what I think. Yeah, well, that was the message all through spring training last year, and that's more or less what led to Akil Badu making the team. Mm-hmm. You know, performance matters, as you say. Upside is, was there with Akil, too, but yeah. Yeah. He earned but, it. And, you know, that's the object of the game, as you said. So I, I wanted to ask you this and kind of frame it in a certain way. So this is a pro gambling podcast. So. Sure. Um, we, one of our first episodes, we talked about the over under on the team and you guessed it right on the point pro gambling podcast. Um, we just had the super bowl and you know, there's all these prop bets or whatever. And a lot of a favorite one is like, you know, super bowl MVP and like professional gamblers aren't just going to bet money on the favorite, right? Because you want to get value. Um, I remember Aaron Donald was six to one, and I was like, I would never bet on Aaron Donald to win Super Bowl MVP because the value at six to one isn't necessarily there for a defensive player. Now it turned out he very well could have, maybe should have won Super Bowl MVP, but that's that's beside the point. So, if you were to bet on one of those guys, not necessarily who's the favorite to, you know, I don't know what what the definition you want to do. Do you want to say pop? Do you want to say you know, have a a positive war, um, you know, like, I, I don't know, whatever kind of, you can kind of decide that yourself, but could be the surprise riser. Like, if, if you were to bet on somebody, assuming 
good value, which one of these guys do you think you would say, like, that's a high upside bet to see this guy could pop, could make it the major leagues, could become one of the top prospects in the farm system this time next year or two years or whatever? Um, yeah, that's a hard question because the bets with the biggest return are, like, the, the least likely to happen, you know? So I think Reese Olsen, Bo Brisky, like, these guys are – I could see him pitching in the big leagues. There's probably not a huge ceiling there. Are they going to have 10-year careers? Uh, right now, I would say I kind of doubt it. Um, I think there are a couple guys who would be long odds, but maybe could really pop, could win you some money. So I'm just going to talk about Austin Bergner because it surprised me a little bit when our guy Keith Law had Bergner on his top 20 last week. Uh, so I kind of dove into Bergner. I, I wasn't super familiar with him, to be real honest. And this guy was once an elite prospect in Florida. He went to college at UNC, uh, powerhouse baseball program, had a good numbers out of the pen as a freshman. You know, was a starter with so-so numbers, 4-2-3, career college ERA. But it seems like he had a couple outings where he could be just straight-up dominant. Um, he's 6'4", so talk about the frame. He's got some of that. After this story ran, I got a DM from a scout who said, I've seen a lot of good prep arms over the years. Junior year, Austin Bergner may be number one. Once upon a time, that dude was insane. So this guy was an elite, elite prospect in high school. Um, kind of fell off for whatever reason. Looks like he altered his arm path, became more just fastball changeup. Maybe his slider curve were, were not as effective. I don't know the full story, but this is a dude with some real, some real potential. And maybe if he puts it all together, maybe if Gabe Rebus or, or, um, the new guys in the player development system can help him figure it out. I think this is the type of guy who could actually pop and not just be a replacement type player a guy who could have some real potential what do we because whenever there's like a, a prospect report or you know stories like this you see like you know so and so slash this at the dominican you know winter league and like uh garrett hill to bring it back to him he was mvp <laughs> or excuse me he was an all-star in the arizona fall league those things like that, how much, how much do we kind of take that into accord with like, like evaluating a prospect's potential from afar? Like, like how much weight does it carry? Just generally, not necessarily with these specific players. I think you have to take it with a grain of salt, especially in a shorter sample like the Arizona Fall League. But I know, I know, uh, he'll pitch well in the, in the Arizona Fall League. Um, so again. That's the object of the game, getting guys out. Garrett Hill's doing it. He did it most recently in the Arizona Fall League. He was an all-star there. I say props to him. When I'm looking at stuff like the the Florida Complex League or the Dominican Summer League, uh, maybe this sounds bad. Maybe this is the arrogant skeptic in me. But like, if I see a, a guy has good numbers, I'm like, all right, that's good. Let's see him do it at a higher level. If I see a guy has bad numbers, if I see... He has a low one base percentage in the Dominican Summer League. Like, that's telling me, okay, he's probably not going to post good one base numbers in AA or AAA or or the big leagues. Like, I think, um, you know, if a player struggles at the lower levels, I can tell you a lot. If the player plays well at the lower levels or the Arizona Fall League, that tells me 
Okay, good. Let's let's see him with against a little better competition. Let's see him in a bigger sample. That's how I look at it. Is there? Like I said you you mentioned Bergner. Um, we talked about Garrett Hill. Is there a next Scooble on this list? A high riser, maybe not with the high end potential. Bo Brisk is a guy that you've written about before. Brisky, Brisky. Yeah. I think I think Brisky again. I don't think he has the high upside stuff like Scooble, but. In terms of guy coming out of nowhere and becoming one of your one of the best overall pitchers in the farm system, guy who has a chance to break into the bigs at some point, I think uh, I think you bet definitely got to put Brisky there on that list. Um, you know, uh, yeah, another guy, you know, Brendan White, right-handed pitcher, really not noteworthy at all. A lot of people don't know about him, but he had solid numbers and nine point five strikeouts per nine in West Michigan last year. Um, his slider supposedly has off-the-chart spin rates. Uh, I've heard in excess of 3,000 RPM. So another guy, this guy was a 26-round draft pick. Like, deep, super sleeper. How good could he actually ever be? I don't know. Um, but a guy, he harnesses command to this slider, can throw his fastball for strikes. Suddenly you're talking about a guy who could pitch in the bigs one day. Um, so, so I think those would be the two guys I would mention there. I just realized we've only talked about pitchers on, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a handful of hitters on on that. No, you, the, the the hitters have not reported in Lakeland. I think they report Monday. That's kind of pitchers are more in my mind. We saw footage of pitchers and stuff this week, and starting next week, we should see some more hitters pop up on social media. Yeah, but I mean, just like in this story, you, you, uh, or just talking about this story. I mean, you have hitters in the story. I mean, we talked sure. about Colt Keith and. And, and, and workmen. Um, I'm not familiar with uh, Manuel Sakura. Sakura? Yeah. Don't know how you say it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not very familiar with him. Um, and, and we haven't talked about him. We've talked about Christian Santana and Roberto Campos. Um, you know, those are those are guys that I'm starting to read as I try to juggle with my dog. Almost trying to knock over my mic. Those are guys that I'm starting to read like more and more f- specific to Santana. Seems like a lot of people are putting their eggs in the Santana basket. Um, Campos, not as much, uh, but I, I don't really know much about uh, Sakura. Sakura. I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong, um, but you know, any of those guys you think could be the high risers? Um, yeah, you know, I don't know how to say the guy's name either. I'm gonna go with Sequera for right now. It seems to make the most sense. Uh, the guy was, you know, MVP of the Florida Complex League. Okay, so how much stake do you put in that? I don't know. He only had a 346 OBP, so I don't love that. But he had 11 homers. He had 40 RBIs in 46 games. Like, uh, I, I think his barrel rates were really good. So this guy has a knack for finding barrels, you know. Can help him out, develop into a little bit more of a well-rounded hitter. That's good. I think Christian Santana probably has the highest like the most likely of these international prospects to become something. Um, he was their top signing in the, oh, what year was it? 2021 international class, uh, 421 OBP in the Dominican Summer League. So that that tells me, you know, got a little bit of patience, had nine homers, so a little bit of pop. Type of guy who's projected to come into some more power. Uh, can he stay at shortstop or does he eventually move to third or second is probably the big question. And he's very young. He's a long time away, but I think he's the type of guy that 
you need to hit one. I think he's a guy who who looks to me like a big leaguer. Um, and then Campos, of course, super high upside, could be a big leaguer. What we've seen so far is he's really prone to strikeouts. He has no plate discipline. He has time to develop, time to improve. But I think Santana seems... Um, I want to see him more in person, but I, I I like Santana. I like the makeup. I like the scouting reports. Sounds like a higher floor maybe than some of these international prospects who tend to be um, you know, often referred to as lottery tickets. Yeah, so those are some names to kind of keep in mind as position players. Report for minicamp and minor league spring training, if, if that's the only spring training we get um, here, here for a while. So uh, that, that was a nice little piece you put together, very timely. Uh, the big drop this week for you was a story that you know we had talked about just privately a while back. Um, you asked me if I had heard of this. I was like, I mean, I, th- I think I heard like something, um, but I couldn't have told you a damn thing. And then you went and reported it, got really good sources, uh, you know, articles uh, written at the time or whatever. Um, so the Tigers back in the day were subject to a con. And a pretty big con um, in terms of just the, for lack of a better term, balls to try this guy to try to pull it off. Um, so my, my first question is, how the hell did you come across this and, and then go about, like, mining the the internets to get like information and you know get this you know and and talk to people or whatever like how the hell did you do this or how where did it come from that's all of a question i think i already forgot (laughs) (laughs) oh no no i remember now uh yeah i can't even take full credit for it for it uh my coworker brendan quinn sent me a link to a podcast like a year ago like i think it was like last january and he was like, hey, there's some Tigers references in here. Might be something you, you'd want to check out. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. And never even looked at it or listened to the podcast. Um, at the time, this actual spring training thing was starting to ramp up. I think it was like December of this year. The lockout had just started. I was like, man, I need I need something to work on. I need a good story to tell. I went back and I'm like, let's just see what that was about. Turned out it was the Swindled podcast. It's like a white-collar crime podcast. And... There's kind of an intro in each episode where the the host tells a story and the host talks a little bit about William Douglas Street and how he tried to pose as NFL player Jerry Levias and tried to try out for the Tigers in 1971. And I listened to it and I was immediately fascinated. I immediately wanted to know more. And I think my initial reaction was, how have I never heard of this before? Like, I'm always looking for off-the-wall stories in the past, something I could write about. Like, I've done so much reading and research about Tiger's history, and I just never heard of this one. And started talking to people. Most most other people had not heard of it as well. I mean, team employees, you, a lifelong Tigers fan, um, you know, some of my coworkers here in Michigan, like, no one had really heard of it. And so, yeah, I... Uh, as you say, go went on the internet, did a lot of googling. William Douglas Street and uh, Jerry Levias, who I found out was a former Houston Oilers player. For anyone who hasn't read the story, this guy William Street shows up in Lakeland. 
He actually got like money from Gates Brown, flew to Lakeland with Gates Brown. He says, hey, I'm, I'm Jerry Levias. I play for the Oilers. Uh, I'm done with football. Like I, I, I'm sick of football. I hate the Oilers. I want to play baseball. Like, can I try out? And the Tigers like, yeah, yeah, you can try out. Kind of gave him this grand treatment, got him a new pair of shoes, you know, had the press take photos of him, sent out a press release saying this, you know, this NFL players in our camp. And that lasted all of about two days before it was clear that not uh, only this was this guy incredibly unathletic, he was not <laughs> who he said he was. Uh, crazy that, that someone was able to pull that off. Someone phones the real Jerry Levias, and he's like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's not me. Um, Jerry Levias, turns out, was the first black player to receive a scholarship in the history of the Southwest Conference at SMU. He was something of a trailblazer. He's now a com- community ambassador with the Houston Texans. I contacted SMU, contacted the Texans. Took a while to actually get through to Jerry Levias, like a month, but uh, finally did and had had a real good chat with him and exchanged some emails back and forth. I sent him some old press clippings, and I think once I got his side of the story, I was very much like, oh, this is something I want to write, because he had never really told much about what it was like for him to be impersonated and how he, look, this is a guy who encountered a ton of hate and racism at SMU, and so he was he was since of that it was 1971 he was a black man in texas uh he was living in a mostly white neighborhood and he he goes to the grocery store which he went to like almost every morning get him some donuts and someone starts yelling at him they're like if you don't want to be here why don't you just leave he goes to check out someone else starts yelling at him and he kind of leaves the grocery store like wow like i guess because they got tired of having a black guy around. Like, I don't know. He thought it was because of the color of his skin. Uh, he didn't know that this newspaper report had circulated across the country saying he was quitting the Texans. He had made inflammatory comments about the organization, about the team's quarterback. And uh, he felt kind of like an outcast and had to, had to kind of scramble to clean up his name, his reputation in a time where he couldn't just sense hit send on a tweet, you know, like it wasn't as easy. A lot of people in Houston never really realized that the whole thing was a hoax. So once I got his side of the story, I mean, I was, I was fascinated. I really wanted to tell it. And in terms of William Douglas street, uh, my God, the spring training con was just one of a lifetime of cons. Um, he was in the news in Detroit a little bit around 2015, 2016, when he, uh, was sentenced to prison for impersonating, I believe it was a doctor. And, you know, when a lot of the story's done, this whole Lakeland thing was just a, just a footnote, just like a line and a list of impersonate a therapist and two attorneys and a University of Michigan defensive back and a doctor and a law student. And, you know, he did this his entire life. Uh, went pretty far down the rabbit hole trying to contact William Douglas Street. Uh, found a random email sent a sent a message called a couple numbers that ended up being disconnected ended up finding the re, the attorney who represented him in court um and told me that william street had passed away and, and uh, went through all the court documents it was all there on the record he was under supervised release at the time of his death so there was a court filing um talking about the fact he had died and, and essentially closing his case 
Uh, but it was a lot of information to sort through. It was a weird rabbit hole to spend several days of my life going down and trying to think of things that didn't make the story. I mean, in terms of street, there were just a million anecdotes of weird, weird schemes. I mean, this guy would pose as a doctor and try to pick up women. You know, he listed that as one of his motivations. Mostly he did it to get a job. Uh, there were a couple instances of him um, basically stealing money from others, but it kind of became his career as, as his attorney, Joseph Arnone said, like, this was his trade. This is what he knew how to do. And he did it. Um, that happened to intersect or overlap with baseball. Um, he had like tried to get in with the Red Sox a couple of times before this thing with the Tigers even happened. And then he tried to extort money from Willie Horton. Willie Horton declined to be interviewed. Uh, for this story, I, I reached out to him through the Tigers organization. He said he, he didn't. He didn't want to talk about it. It was pretty traumatic. The guy like I mean, threatened it was, it was his family. You know, it was very bad. Um, so that's a long-winded uh, kind of overview of of how I came about the story and what it was like. It was um a ton of fun to go down. And then when it ran again, I heard from a couple people who were like, "Oh yeah, I remember the newspaper coverage of this at the time." But again, my reaction was like. It's crazy that more people don't know about this story, that this was new to so many people, because it's an all-time wild sports story. You cited the Detroit Free Press a couple times for some quotes. Uh, you remember what years uh, those were? Were those like, did you find, did, did you find like articles from 1971 or whatever, Free Press mm -hmm. articles? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun to look at the articles um, that came out at the time. I wish I could have included some clips in my in my article for like copy reasons. We can't do that, but I mean, there were pictures of um, this guy arriving at Tiger's spring training. There were pictures of him in a Tiger's hat. There was an article saying Levias is here to quit football, and then there were several follow up reports. You could you could see how the story unfolded back in the day, you know, just as it happened, and so it was really really pretty fascinating um, to read back on. And of course there was street would appear in and out of newspapers throughout the next, the next several decades. But I think the 1971 free press stories were really fun and fascinating to go back and read. There's, I would say this was one of your more layered stories that you've written um, because there were just, so many rabbit holes that you did go down and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there are several that you did go down that didn't make it into the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, plenty. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I, as I was reading that I wrestled with in my head and I'm curious if you wrestled with it as you're piecing this complicated story together I was like, is this deep? Like, is, is this a, is this like, <laughs> is it as simple as here's a guy who's a con man who just had no qualms about committing these crimes? Some of them relatively innocent, speaking at a alumni event, you know? Some of them pretty serious, if you were to believe him about like assisting in surgeries and then, you know, threatening, um, Willie Horton through his wife um is is there is it as simple as this guy was a bad dude 
or is there something deeper there that it's like maybe this is an example of sort of somebody slipping through society's fingers in a way that like we could have like if things were better especially at that time maybe something like this would be less likely to happen if that makes sense um yeah i think that's a really good question that's when i became very fascinated within the reporting process and i think on the surface you're just like wow this guy this is wild like this guy is really messed up individual and i think the more you think about it and the more you read and the more you go down i think it is a little more complex than that i think number one there was a brilliance to what he did number two um i don't think i i I kind of hint at this in the story but couldn't fully get into it because it's just I don't know. It's it's a whole other rabbit hole. But there's a film based on the life of William Douglas Street. The uh, the spring training stint, I believe, is not in the movie. But it's called Chameleon Street. I actually have not seen the movie because it's, like, impossible to find <laughs> on modern streaming services. So if anyone has, like... I don't think it exists on DVD. But if anyone knows of a way I can watch this film, I really want to see it. Um, as Olive wrestles with uh, with one of her toys in the background. <laughs> No. <laughs> Great filming a podcast or taping a podcast for these pets. Uh, no, but okay, so the director of this film, Wendell B. Harris, who I also tried to talk to and was uh, never heard back from, seems like he paints Street as kind of an anti hero in his film interpretation. He makes the film very much about race and. It's kind of like, okay, the game was was rigged against Street. The game Street lived in a system that oppresses black men, and he got arrested once in 1969, and he got kicked out of school and had difficulty finding employment. Uh, He started becoming a con artist, and he figured out it worked. He figured out he could tell people something, and they would believe it. Harris is especially fascinated by the fact that Street claims to have performed 36 hysterectomies. Uh, At the time, he said he performed like 16 operations, so Street's stories actually changed a little bit over the time, but at a hospital in Illinois. And they were all successful, supposedly. No one ever got hurt. Uh, He would go read textbooks in the bathroom. He would watch other um, surgeons. So despite never having a medical degree, despite not probably being from the background that would have really produced a doctor, you know, especially in 1971. This guy was in there performing successful operations on people, uh, kind of flipping society on its head. He got a spring training invite with a major league baseball team just because he said he was an NFL player. Obviously, it didn't work. Uh, generally, he was eventually found out in all these schemes, but I, there are probably other schemes that he was never found out on, you know, that, that, that we just don't even know um, things he did in his lifetime. So I think there's a lot of layers to it. I think you can think about identity. Like, what does identity mean? How do we define our own identities? Is it what we think? If you're Jerry Levias, is it, you know, people can have uh, perceptions of you that don't match the perception you have of yourself. Which one is reality? If you are um, William Douglas Street, maybe you can create a new or different identity for yourself much more easily than we commonly think about it. Um, how much does race play a role? You know, it's it's hard to say, but I do think there is something to William Douglas Street being 
how do I phrase this? Um, I don't know. He was a guy who really went against the grain, and I think his story almost kind of proves a point about flaws in our society or the structure in our society. All that said, I think he was probably a deeply disturbed man who did this his whole life and couldn't stop and probably needed uh, some kind of more serious form of help. But I think there are a lot of layers to this story. I think it's something that uh, that kept me up at night. You know, I was just like, why did he do this? Why did he do this in his entire life? He would get caught and then he would keep doing it. And it was sort of about money, but he never actually made much money off of any of these schemes. Um, I don't know. I think it's really fascinating. I think it's fascinating that he did it for a lifetime. I think there is some sort of depth there, and maybe that's too up to each of us to kind of interpret in our own way. Well, it was clear that director had some admiration. For he Street. really did, yeah. Um, number There's one. some other interviews Wendell Harris has done. I would recommend Googling if you're curious, because I think, I think it was Harris's interpretation that really help me view the story in a deeper way. And I wish I could have explained it a little more in my story, but it would have taken an additional thousand words and would have been a lot of conjecture. So <laughs> didn't quite get it all in there. Well, yeah. And I don't know, like when I say like I wrestle with it, like, you know, we got to keep in mind at what had, what was going on at that time. And then what had just, you know what chapter had in American history had had yeah. just uh, had just occurred, so I try to keep that in mind. But then I'm like, well, he did ruin Lebias's life in a way, um, and the Willie Horton thing is hard for me to be like, well, you know, yeah. that's an example of him, you know, being a victim of an unfair system. Yeah. That Definitely. that that one's hard for me to to come back from, and then the way you ended the story was brilliant. Uh, I'll, I'll read the quote if you don't mind. Um, his attorney asked him like, "How how can we protect ourselves from someone like you?" And Street's answer was, "Truth be told, you can't." and <laughs> creepy it's creepy and and it's an example of uh you know some people just want to see the world burn um yeah. and and again a lot of his stuff i say a lot there are things in there that were more innocent than others like i said but uh you know how confident would you be going under the knife with the guy <laughs> with the guy who had to go read the no, text thank you no thank you <laughs> And uh, I don't think this quote made the, it's, the the story, but his attorney was like nerves of steel. Like this guy, this guy was impersonating someone at a Yale alumni function, talking about a profession that he didn't actually know a single thing about, and he was so confident that that he did all this, you know, and sh did not flinch in any of these schemes. Crazy. What it reminded me of. Uh he has he has a, another thing I wish I could have put in there. In the court records, there are exhibits of emails he sent to like duke university trying to get someone else's transcript um and just like the level of detail and how convin convincing he is is crazy they're like letters he wrote people like there are there's some really interesting stuff in the court record um that's also super creepy it reminded me of there's a documentary on netflix 
called Murder Among the Mormons. And uh, mm-hmm. if anyone's interested in cons and uh, history, definitely recommend watching. It's like a four-parter. And uh, basically, this guy was a... And, and people that are older than us might remember, it was a big national news story at the time. Uh, this guy made lots of money just forging old... He was, he was a Mormon from Utah. Forging old uh, Mormon documents. Like, he just made up lost chapters of you know the book of mormon and you know stuff like that and 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 coins he would he would just take a penny and then he was so brilliant he figured out a way in in just in his house to doctor it up and he would send it to the u.s mint and be like oh yeah this is a this is a 1905 penny and then he would sell that for you know god knows how much money or whatever and he did this for years and eventually he started promising too many things and ended up not not being a very good thing for him but like uh if you it, they they show him in court and he has like zero remorse for the things he did and and again like uh I'm not going to give away everything but he actually committed crimes as the title uh implies but one of the first interviews of a guy who was like one of his really good friends in the documentary is like I don't want to say this but he was brilliant like mm-hmm. he was like the best at what he did, and it it, it it just shows like how you can kind of wrestle with two things at the same time mm-hmm. in your mind. So I definitely recommend people check out that documentary. I I, I think my final take on uh, William Douglas Street is that I do not feel sympathy toward him, but I think there is something to be learned from his story. I think it exposes some cracks in in the framework of society that can be exploited probably more easily than we like to believe. And I think, uh, yeah, no doubt he was brilliant. He actually underwent a couple psychiatric exams throughout the course of his legal, you know, uh, you know, his legal cases and was never deemed incompetent or mentally ill or anything like this guy. I would still argue, I'm sure he needed some sort of professional help, but he knew what he was doing. He was aware of it. He was in control. He simply chose to continue doing it. And it seems like he liked doing it. And he knew, I don't know. It, it does seem like in the interviews, he never really expressed remorse. Like maybe there was a degree of, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call him a sociopath or not, but he never seemed regretful or remorseful, even though he did understand the, um, the illegality and the the complications of his actions. So I don't know. Now I'm going on a tangent again. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's that's a, it's it's a story where you just wrestle with yourself about like how to feel, and that's one of the brilliance I would say of you putting it together and then just you know the information itself, um, and. Obviously, con men still exist or whatever, but I just had to find it, it. It'd be impossible for this Tigers con to be pulled off now, right? Like, they're, they're, this guy was a good NFL player. He wasn't like a – Levias was, you know, the AFL, you know, rookie of the year or whatever. Like, you know, prominent college football player. I mean, SMU wasn't Pony Express yet, but it was still a historic, you know, college football program dating back to the Doak Walker days and stuff. Um it wasn't Joe Smo that he impersonated. Like he chose, he chose a pretty relatively high profile. It was, it was guy. like it was like the perfect level of high profile. Yeah, like 
well-known enough to have some name recognition, but anonymous enough, you know, that he could get by with it. Yeah, brilliant. Um, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think you could do this scheme, but I will tell you, you know, a Tigers, uh, Tigers director of communications. When he found out I was doing this story, he was like, so was like, is this guy still alive? And at the time, I thought he was. And I was like, yeah, like yeah, I think he is. Like I'm trying to find him. He's like, so should we like, you know, screen like you know, generally in Lakeland, like the uh, stadium. I don't know, like support staff people in spring training tend to be like older retirees who are kind of just doing it for fun. He's like, should we like really screen everyone in Lakeland this year? <laughs> I think he was kidding, but I think he was like a little bit worried too. You know. <laughs> Oh, I found out Street had died. I texted him. I was like, "Hey, no worries. Turns out, that, turns out this guy's been, you know, died in 2020 or whatever." Uh, I don't think you could do this, but there, you know, I watched the Tinder Swindler documentary just a couple weeks ago. Like, there are, in some ways, the internet makes it, and the way we can track everything makes it harder to execute cons. In some ways, it also makes it easier because you can catfish people. It's more easy to claim you're someone you're not based on through online communication. So. The con men will Crazy. always be one step ahead, I think, is, yes. is, is the yes. lesson there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, God, that's fascinating. I could take talk about that in the deeper meaning for forever. But um, after the, – the people can be satisfied, all right? After a couple-week absence, you know, I've been my, my DMs have been flooded with, you know, hey, where's the cop connection? Where's the cop connection? It's, <laughs> it's, it's the best – it's the best two minutes in, uh, in podcasts – lore right now going on like i you know it's gonna win some awards um it's gonna get it's gonna get sponsored by ibm here pretty soon like uh you know people are talking so i just want to you know deliver the people what they want (laughs) we have we have ourselves another cop connection and i will say this one did not take as long as i thought i did jonathan scope jonathan scope um one of the few veteran players remaining that I got that have a, a little bit of a track record, so it might be a, this might be the last. I'm not gonna say easy, but smooth one for a while. Um, but I'll go ahead and get started here on April sixth, two thousand fourteen, which was my twenty first birthday. Jonathan Scope shared the lineup with Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz. On September 21st, 2005, while with the Brewers, this is his first uh, big league action, shared the lineup with catcher Damian Miller. Little little factoid about Damian Miller. Did not reach the major leagues. He was a 20th round pick. Did not reach the major leagues until he was 27 years old. Made an all-star uh, team uh, right, I believe, is after he was the Diamondbacks catcher when they won the World Series. I think it was the season after that. Um he made an all-star team. So, you know, some guys pop at different times. There's you know, a little lesson right there. Damian Miller, while with the Twins on August 26, 1997, was in the lineup with Paul Molitor, Hall of Famer. Paul Molitor batted leadoff on May 31st, 1978, while with the Brewers. And he shared the lineup with Sal Bando. Sal Bando on April 5th, 1971, while with the Athletics, shared the lineup with a very old at the time, Felipe Alou. I didn't realize he played that late. Um, Felipe Alou, while with the San Francisco Giants on June 10th, 
1958, by the way, the first year the Giants were in San Francisco, shared the lineup with Hank Sawyer. On September 12, 1941, Hank Sawyer batted back-to-back with the Reds with Hall of Famer Ernie Lombardi. Ernie Lombardi batted back-to-back on May 28, 1932 with Harry Heilman, who... Debuted as a pinch hitter with the Tigers on May 16th, 1914, sharing the lineup that day with Tyrus Raymond Cobb. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players in between. Scope to Cobb. I was pretty proud of that, nice. not going to lie. <laughs> nice. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be a lot longer. Is When I'm doing this, when I see like a, like an old, like, guy I know played 20 years I'm like all right we're in business oh Paul yeah. Molitor we in business yeah and yeah. Felipe Alou we in business it does get difficult when you go national league though because at the time guys didn't move all that much between leagues because they were more separate entities or whatever but regardless so that is your cop connection of the week so a little short college chronicles story um I mentioned my 21st birthday um it's not a day I remember all that much. If you recall, Cody, that was also Oklahoma State's spring game that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked my boss at the time if I could do the bare minimum of work so that I could, uh, you know, it's my 21st birthday, dude. So could I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll file a story, but can I do something tomorrow? But I just want to, you know, I got, I got a couple buddies in town, like, you know, and he's like, all right, as long as you tell me a funny story tomorrow, you can do that. So, <laughs> so you know, we go to, like, a friend's house, uh, our boy Justin Gordon's apartment, um, and uh, and my, my buddy Edwin, who's one of my groomsmen, gives me, like, this red Solo cup that I think was all but one inch SoCo, and then there's just, like, a splash of Coke. And after one of those babies... <laughs> yeah, you start. It's it's not very cold outside anymore. Let's just phrase it like that. You know, you start you start feeling it pretty good. Um, went to a couple bars, you know, and you know, didn't really uh, didn't act too much of a fool apparently. But uh, went to the country bar over there on the strip, Outlaws, and ran into a couple female friends of mine, and who actually ended up being my roommates the next year at that house by the bars. And her, her, one of the girls' moms was there, and we two-stepped, and uh, <laughs> which I, I don't like. I am capable of doing the bare minimum of that dance, but I am not what you would call a two-stepper. Um, and there are a lot of people that are very, very good. And I have a lot of respect for them. Ain't my scene, but I apparently I did it, uh, and I was told later that uh, I could two-step better than I could walk. So as I said, not a two-stepper. If I could two-step better than I could walk, uh, I probably wasn't walking all that all that well. So that was the anecdote that my you know I sent the boss the next day. That he said, "All right, you're you know, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you, or whatever." So we, night well lived. Um, but I wanted to give a couple little anecdotes. Um, one of the things I would do Cody when we were going out obviously you know this you saw it and you probably laughed as I was doing it is that I would 
try to impress girls at bars by introducing them to athletes that I knew that they liked (laughs) (laughs) and athletes I had a good rapport with, you know. Um, One of them, this girl Kayla, really into baseball and was obsessed with Donnie Walton. Donnie Walton, uh, does he... He's still with the Mariners. He's he, or he's not. Yeah, a, I think so. yeah. He's not like he's not a free yeah. agent or anything. Placed him in fields, some second base. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know if he was like his contract was up or anything like I that. I don't think so. Um, but uh, Donnie Walton, great guy. You've mentioned his father, Rob Walton. Yeah, uh, could family. be the the best pitching coach in college potentially. Definitely up there. Um, great guy. Uh, and Donnie, you know, really nice dude. So I was like, hey, Donnie, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. You know, this is Kayla. And she was so excited, and you know, and, and Donnie like talked to her for a little bit, and uh, I didn't see Kayla a whole lot after that. She didn't get with Donnie or anything. It was just, it just didn't work. <laughs> it did and not so work. That, that's the danger of in, trying to impress these girls by introducing them to athletes. Like these are the guys they actually want to be with. Yeah. You're you're walking a, a dangerous line there by trying to show off. <laughs> well, the most dangerous one came up uh, came up a little later. Um, this was. Summertime in Stillwater, 2016, and my fiancé, we had just started dating, my fiancé, there's a couple men that in a New York minute she would leave me for. There's probably more, but the the ones that stand out (laughs) um, are Nick Jonas, obsessed with the Jonas Brothers her entire life, has a cardboard cutout of like a... 14-year-old, life-size cardboard cutout of a 14-year-old Nick Jonas in her, still in her childhood bedroom. Um, The other would be Mason Rudolph, who at the time was the quarterback of the Oklahoma State Cowboys and now is, might be the starting quarterback for the Steelers this year. Who knows? Um, She loved Mason Rudolph. I used to send her, like, when we'd interview him, like, you know, after spring practice, whatever, be like, hey, there's Mason, send her a picture. She always loved that. Really, t- really testing the waters here. I go, okay, I'm going to introduce her to, to Mason Rudolph. So I go up to Mason, you know, say hi or whatever. He's like, hey, man, I want to introduce you uh, to my girlfriend, uh, uh, Alexis. And she had this, like, starstruck look on her face. Didn't really say anything, you know. It's like, you know, mouth a gap or whatever. And, uh, and and Mason, I'll always love, Mason gets a lot of crap in NFL circles, man. I will always love Mason for this because <laughs> he was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this dude that I really don't even know that well. I'm going to do him a solid. So he goes, hey, you know, and he gives me like a little friendly punch in the chest. He goes, your boyfriend's a stud. <laughs> 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 so after that, that was, that was all I needed. You know, that, that, that was, uh. That was a good interaction. So let let Mason, you know, do his thing uh, over at the outdoor section of Murphy's. But uh, anytime we'd see Mason on TV or when he get drafted or you know he, he makes an appearance in the NFL or whatever, Alexis is like, he called you a stud. Like she she's, <laughs> she still she still loves it to this day. So that one was that one could have backfired on me highly. You know, he's the quarterback of the college team. You know, but. Uh, yeah, you never he know. Did, wasn't but, that long ago? I, I had someone be like, "Oh, like if you bring a keel Badu to dinner, like I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna come." You know, <laughs> <laughs> didn't I didn't bring a keel, but uh, and that dinner never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 
as proximity to uh, highly desired men does not necessarily make you a highly desired no, it's man. Not. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I got a couple follow-ups. I think you need to tell the people what shirt you were wearing on your 21st birthday. I I don't remember what shirt I was wearing. Do you remember? I'm pretty sure you're wearing it. What's the dumbest shirt you owned in college <laughs> that you would often wear while uh, partying? Oh, there's a lot. Did I... <laughs> Just go ahead and say it, dude. I don't remember. Kieran had a Four Loco shirt. It was oh, amazing. Yeah. It was legendary. Pretty sure he wore it the night of his... I used to have a video of Kieran on his 21st. I no longer have it. It was, it was funny. Pretty sure he's wearing yeah, a Four Loco yeah, shirt. Four Loco and it was shirt. just like... that. It really... The Four Loco shirt really summed up Kieran, you know, probably ages like 18 to 21. <laughs> like, he just really embodied the spirit of the Four Loco shirt. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, well, the Four Loco, uh, the first time Alexis and I said I love you was influenced by Four Loco. <laughs> we, we I'm sure a... it's influenced many a people <laughs> to say I love you. She, uh, she, she had one, and that was one too many for her, let me tell you. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and so she finally got the courage to say I love you uh, oh. before she passed out shortly thereafter. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that and the your Soko story reminded me of a great a great little college story. You know, we had gone to uh, a journalism conference in New Orleans with some friends my uh, sophomore year of college, and had a great time. First time on Bourbon Street, it was legendary. It was epic. So, you know, a couple months later, uh, we decided to host a New Orleans themed party, and we were going to make hand grenades. And uh, we got, you know, someone, we got your roommate to buy us the, uh, the, the proper liquor, you know. We were under 21 and, at the time. Uh, we, were, we were, we were. And uh, mixed them all up. We were real excited about it. Well, we forgot. We're just neglected to use any form of mixer. We're just drinking straight combination of alcohol. It's horrible to make it taste better. We were just like, oh, just keep putting more sugar in it. <laughs> What could go wrong? Not knowing that I think they use like either Pepsi or like Sprite or something in the actual hand grenades. Just terrible mistake. That was the only real time I've had to have someone straight up take care of me. Uh, badly. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Making them in the kitchen. Uh... <laughs> just mixing them in like a pot. Very caught. Very just 20 year old idiots yeah, just, just not not knowing a damn thing thinking you have it figured out not knowing a damn thing <laughs> and then sometimes i think uh i still don't know a damn thing so maybe, maybe that's maybe that's True. just life <laughs> like to think i've come a little further but uh yeah still do some dumb stuff so. i wish i still had that fort loco shirt it got, it's one of those things you move so often it, get, it just you know things get lost <laughs> in translation man i did love that shirt <laughs> i think it was stolen from you it, it Probably. I think I know who has it. Probably was. I think I know who has it. It's not me. I think you could find it if you really wanted it. Maybe. Maybe uh, Maybe someone could track it down and give it to me as a wedding present. That'd be a great idea. Especially this. A friend once dressed up as Kieran for Halloween as, as a joke. And to sum it up, she wore the, the four loco shirt. It was perfect. She pulled it off brilliantly. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> if we could share that photo... <laughs> that would that would be amazing but uh but that that person's a professional now can't can't be 
can't be sharing <laughs> that that's that stuff uh from those days you know true but may, maybe one true. day maybe she'll run for political office or something and uh and maybe that'll surface who knows but <laughs> all right um, well, let's just end it right here yeah. before we uh, ruin our own professional lives <laughs> exactly uh we'll go ahead and get out of here thank you everybody for listening um thanks for the kind words when they come uh you know, the person said that really enjoyed uh, the the college anecdotes, which is just something we just yeah. thought would be a good way to pass time. If people are entertained by it. That's awesome. Um, and if you guys could subscribe on Apple and Spotify, if you feel so inclined, please give a five star review, and, um, and we'll keep on chugging along. If you guys will keep on listening, so it's a lot of fun, and Cody's got great content coming up, and uh, hopefully. Here pretty soon, those 15-minute meetings will progress to be 30 and 45 minutes and an hour. And, and, and we'll get baseball back. We'll see. Um, and at the least, maybe we'll have something more substantive to talk about when it comes to the lockout. So, like I said, we'll go ahead and get out of here. You can follow Cody on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Like I said, Apple... Spotify, please subscribe, rate, and review. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you, everybody, for listening.